0: The scripture reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse three. It can be found on page eight in the Black Bibles. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives, The word of the Lord.
1: Ted, thanks for reading for us. And thank you, John, for singing. That was such a blessing. Uh, Welcome. My name is John Trapp. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. Uh, This Sunday, we are actually wrapping up a series that we've been doing on the book of Genesis. And um, we've seen that there is this far reaching impact that sin has in the world and in our own lives in the story of Genesis 1 through 11. Um, and also we see that, that this sin is not so far reaching that it, it's beyond the grasp of God's grace. And whoever you are today, uh, wherever you find yourself, I want you to see that over and over the Bible is telling us that we cannot be so far bad off that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And also that none of us are, are good enough to be, on, to be beyond the need of God's grace. And so all of us show up this morning as people who who are needy, as people who need to hear the good news of Jesus and to experience it through him and his word. So let's ask God to help us with that now. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Thanks for the truth of the gospel and we pray that you would help us to see it now in this word that you've given to us and also help us to live it for the good of our neighbors, and for your glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So um, I don't know if you saw the the title of the sermon and maybe winced a little bit this morning, Um, blessed, that's a word that's got some cultural baggage these days, blessed. uh, It it even has its own hashtag. My mom listens to this uh, podcast sermon, so I'm going to explain what a hashtag is real quick in case you don't know what that is, but it's Basically, a, uh, what we used to call the pound sign on a phone. And it's used on Twitter to organize different ideas or topics and is searchable. And hashtag blessed has become a, uh, a very commonly used way that people brag about themselves. Let's be honest. We use the hashtag as a humble brag, hashtag blessed. To illustrate, I want to read to you from a, like a three-minute search I did on Twitter on Thursday afternoon in my office when I was looking up, hashtag blessed. Here's, here's one. Another hard day of camp in the books, grateful to wake up every day and be a fighter, hashtag blessed. Or blessed to be a ranked four-star recruit on the rival's top 100 list, hashtag blessed. Or living the life I deserve, hashtag blessed. That was actually Clay Holland's Twitter page. Crazy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Here's another fun one. There's not a day that goes by that I don't thank God for my high cheekbones, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Like, this is what we do. We talk about our blessings, but we view our blessings through the lens of ourselves. And yet, if we look at the biblical story, we see that God's always blessing his people for the purpose of those that are around them and not simply for themselves. God's blessing is to Abram, but his blessing to Abram is far, far bigger than just Abram. In fact, it's for the world. And the same is true for Christians today. God's blessing of salvation to a Christian is not simply for the individual Christian, but it's for our neighbors. We've tried to kind of inculcate this in our kids, in our home. There's a a prayer, maybe you've sung it with your kids before. God, our Father, God, our Father, we thank you. Sound familiar? We thank you for our many blessings. And usually it's repeated. For our many blessings, Amen. But with the traps, we've started working on this. We started doing this about five or six years ago. When we get to, for our many blessings, we say, so we can bless others. Amen. Because that is what the Bible is telling us is true about the blessings that God has given to us. It's not simply for ourselves, but it's so that we can bless others. We're blessed to be a blessing It's totally consistent with what Jesus goes on to say when he sums up the law. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, Jesus says, can be summed up in loving God and loving neighbor, being a blessing to our neighbors as we've been blessed by God. So, three things this morning in the outline. First, God's blessing to Abram. Second, God's blessing through Abram. And then third, so what? God's blessing to Abram. God's blessing through Abram. And so what? And this, this is a key passage kind of all throughout the book of Genesis and really the, the rest of the biblical narrative. That's why it's, it's like the hinge point between the first 11 chapters of Genesis and then all that follows in the book of Genesis and really throughout the rest of the biblical story. And this passage is one that still, the, there are ripple effects of this passage in the way that we're called to live our lives today as Christians, I hope you'll see that. So first, let's look at God's blessing to Abram. Well, who is this guy? The reason that I wanted Ted to read all those kind of hard words in Genesis 11, those hard to pronounce names, is because they give us a clue about who Abram is. When, when we look at these names, we begin to see that first off, He's the son of Terah, and Terah is from a place called Ur, and then later goes and settles in Haran, and one of the things that we know about those two places is that those are centers of worship for the moon god, is the name of this god actually was Sin, it's the name of this moon god in Ur and in Haran. And Terah, Abram's father, is um, it's related to the Hebrew word for moon. So he's named after this moon god. And not only that, but you see that the other names of the characters of, in, in this story of Abram's family share names with, um, with women and people who are in the consort of this moon god, sin, specifically Sarai and Milcah. Uh, they're named after and in association with this moon god. And so what we see is that Abram's born into a family and is, in fact, an idolater and a pagan. And Joshua, later in Joshua 24, kind of doubles down on this and he says, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river. Like when they were on the, we were on the other side of the river before we came, he's talking about Abram. Abram was an idol worshiper, And yet, he's the one that God chooses to pull into his story of grace. This person whose past is one of idolatry and pagan worship. Abram hasn't done anything to merit God's favor, to be the one who's chosen and not only that, but Abram's, it's not like God's looking at Abram saying, you know what, he's got a great future. So that's why, maybe his past is a little sketchy, but he's got a great future. Abram has no future. Abram's old and his wife is barren. And she's old too. And listen, I, I've had the, the privilege to walk along people who have struggled with infertility. And it is, it, it's, a, it's a heavy heavy burden of sorrow to walk through that and that is Abram's life in in a culture and in a time where having children was massively important and very central to a woman's identity but even a family's identity to have a name and your kids were in, in a sense your retirement plan. It would take care of you when you could no longer work or take care of yourself. And so you've got this guy who's got no good merit of past, who has a totally hopeless future. And by the way, he's a rascal. Like you'll see in Abram's future that he's doubting God's promises, living in Out of doubt of God's promises he's selling out his wife multiple times to other men who are in power he is a total rascal God doesn't choose Abram because Abram's some great important person in fact what we see in Abram is what's true of anyone who's been called to Christ and that it's that God loves helpless people He loves people who are needy and helpless. And it's those people that he works in. People who were a stranger to God before he did his work in them. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 5. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then two verses later, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. You see, God over and over is demonstrating that he is a God who moves toward the stranger. We've taught also in this series on Genesis that God is presented as a host of creation, one who doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't come to take anything from us, but instead creates out of an abundance, an overflow of his joy and welcomes us to know him. God is a host, and he is hospitable. And we actually get that word hospitable from the Greek word xenophilia. Maybe you've heard the word xenophobia in our culture. God is a God who's practicing xenophilia. It's two Greek words mashed together. Xenos, which means stranger or foreigner, and philia, which is where we get the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, means brotherly love. So God is the God who loves the stranger. That is hospitality. He's presented this way. And we see him loving this stranger, Abram. We think of Abram as like this familiar Bible character who had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, right? That's who we think. He was a stranger to God. And God singles him out and says, I'm gonna bless you. And the word blessing in the Bible, it's much different from the way that we imagine it with our hashtags. Blessing implies the reversal of sin's curse and the restoration of creation's fullness. And we see in Genesis 1 through 11, there's five times that the word curse is used. Adam and Eve sin, the curse of sin comes into the world And here in just three verses, three very key verses that, like I said, act as almost like a hinge for the rest of the story of the Bible, these three very key verses, the word blessing is used five times. God tells Abram, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless you and give you a great nation, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to bless you. He says blessing five times, as if to say all of the effects of the curse Those five curses in Genesis 1 through 11, all the effects of the curse is going to be undone through one who will come from Abram, through Abram and his seed. God is going to make him a great nation. He's going to make his name great. Remember what the people of Babel were saying in Genesis 11? Let's build this tower, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. But what God tells Abram is, I'm going to make your name great. You don't have to build your name up. I will do it. I will make your name great. And the way that God is ultimately going to do this, this work of blessing in Abram's life, is very surprising. It's with a child who will be miraculously born to Abram and his wife, a child that only God could give to this barren, old mother. A child that God would one day ask to sacrifice to demonstrate how much Abram loved God. And yet God would stop Abram from sacrificing this child saying, now I know that you're devoted to me because you did not withhold your son, your only son from me. And because of that child and all the children that would come after him, another child was coming. A child who would ultimately fulfill all the promises that God's making to Abram here. And this child, this sounds similar. Tell me if this sounds similar. A child who is also miraculously born. A child who is miraculously born, who is going to come and to crush the head of the serpent that God promises to Eve in Genesis three that one is coming from your seed who will crush the head of the serpent. A child that was miraculously born God's only son, God's only son whom he did sacrifice so that we could look to God and say, now I know that you are devoted to me because you did not withhold your son, your only son for me. Jesus, you see, is the ultimate fulfillment of Abram and his blessing, of God's blessing to Abram and through Abram. And why does God decide to give Abram this blessing? Grace. Abram doesn't deserve it, and yet God gives it to him. And Abram is the first of all to receive this blessing, and yet he's not the last. He is intended to be the mediator. He's the recipient of the blessing and then intended to be the mediator, because God isn't just going to give his blessing to Abram. He's going to give his blessing through Abram. That's my second point, through Abram. Verse two, he says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. That's, that's the Hebrew word goyim, which is also can be um, uh, translated nations. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the families will be blessed because of you, Abram, because of my blessing through you. And it's interesting. Mary, Mary Henley talked about this in our women's ministry director in our women's Bible study um, on Wednesday, which she'll also do tonight too so spoiler alert sorry but she talks about this that God gave Israel gave Abram the land that he's going that he's promising about right here he gives them Israel like why of all places did he give them Israel you know if if the whole purpose of Abram's blessing was going to be for just himself and his family God could have given him Madagascar I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna put you on this island that's secluded, or maybe Australia, I don't know. I'm gonna put you on this island, Hawaii. No one's gonna mess with you. You'll be safe, you can be your holy huddle and worship me. You'll be my my chosen people and everybody else, they'll be on the outs. But when God's people go into Israel, in the biblical story, when they walk in it, do you notice how many other, like there's all these ites, the Moabites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and there's the Philistines. There's like all these people there because when they go into Israel, they are going into the most densely populated, multi-ethnic place on the planet because God's intention is to bless the nations through his people. So he sends them to Canaan. He sends them to Israel, ultimately. He gives them his law so that they could then be a light to the nations. See, the role of God's people is this. They are chosen for the sake of the world. And I gotta be honest, this, is, this has really helped me in my own wrestling with the doctrine of predestination. Maybe, maybe some of you, or I, I talked about this with the student ministry two weeks ago, maybe some of you students still have some questions about the doctrine of predestination, like what is the deal with this? God chooses us for salvation. God is clearly choosing Abram here, and Abram hasn't done anything to deserve that choice. God chooses Abram, and yet God chooses Abram not just for Abram's good, but for the good of the world, for the good of those around Abram. And he puts Abram in a place where all kinds of people are going to be bumping into Abram and seeing how Abram lives and through that, seeing who Abram worships. So if you find yourself like me, sometimes like wringing your hands and wondering, is, is God going to save someone in the, that I love in my family? or one of my friends or my neighbors or one of my coworkers and and you find yourself wringing your hands about the doctrine of election and predestination that God chooses those whom he saves and rescues them, I want you to see that we should actually be very optimistic. We should be optimistic because if God has saved you when you were his enemy, when you didn't do anything to deserve it, like Abram, when you had no future like Abram, if God saved you, he can save your neighbor, your friend, and your family. And in fact, he may very well be at work in them because he's at work in you, because God always blesses us so that we can be a blessing to our neighbor. And so if your mission is to be a blessing to your neighbor, think about what God has first blessed you with and what he's calling you into the, a, a book that I'm gonna talk about here in a second says this. The constant temptation throughout Israel's history and also throughout church history has been to forget the missional purpose of election or predestination. To forget the missional purpose of election and to stress only privilege, salvation, and the status of being a recipient. See, Abram and Sarah they are exclusively elected. They're the only people who get chosen for this. They're exclusively elective for a job with a globally inclusive goal. The, the book that I'm, I just referenced uh, is called A Light to the Nations. And I, I, I would say this book probably was the most influential book that I read while I was in seminary. I would totally recommend that you check it out. Uh, it's by a man named uh, Michael Goheen. It's a little dense, so maybe don't try to read it all at once. If you want a little bedside reading, then you can go night-night. It's a good book for you. Um, but it's so rich and so good. And uh, I'll, I'll read another quote from Dr. Goheen. He says, God's mission involves God's people living in God's way in the sight of the nations. Mission is not primarily about going, nor is mission primarily about doing anything. Mission is about Being. So God calls us to go and to be a light to the nations, to our neighbors, to be a blessing as we've been blessed. To not throw up our hands and say, well, God's gonna, you know, he's gonna choose whoever he's gonna save, so I'm not gonna do anything. You know, like Paul writes a lot about predestination. The Apostle Paul, he, he believes that God, he believed that God chose Abraham. He believed that God had people that he was going to rescue. And yet the Apostle Paul, greatest missionary in the history of the church, his, his affirmation that God is going to elect those whom he's going to save wasn't his reason for throwing in the towel and giving up on it. It actually energized him because he believed that people from every tribe and tongue and nation were out there and that God, that God was going to rescue them and that he got to take a part in it. He got to participate in it because this is how God works. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to our neighbors. You see, and and Jesus, Jesus doesn't change that mission. It's the same mission all throughout the Bible. Tell me, this sounds so much like what God is telling Abraham in Genesis 12. Jesus says this to his disciples, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's Jesus saying right there? You know what? Go and be a blessing to the nations. In fact, go give them my name. They don't have to make a name for themselves. I'll give them my name. I'll baptize them into it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the exact same mission. God is is not going to be stopped in his mission to bring his blessing to the world. The mission that he gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, he told them to be a blessing. It said, remember, God blessed them, and then he says, now go, multiply, fulfill the earth, earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. So God first blesses them, and then he calls them to be a blessing to others. And y'all, this is what, I think this is what was so, Um, impactful for me reading this book because it helped me to realize and to imagine that I'm part of this story and you're part of this story. Like you matter because God's story isn't over. We are living in this story still to participate in God's blessing to the nations that we have been blessed by God's grace and then welcomed into extending that grace to others. We get to participate in it. I mean, think about this too. It's kind of weird, but There has never been more people alive in our world than are alive right now. Like, you matter. And there are more souls up for grabs, you could say, right now, as we live and breathe here, sitting in Houston, Texas. There are more souls up for grabs now than ever in human history. And God, God has given us his grace and his blessing, and now he's welcomed us into participating in his work of bringing his blessing to the world, to a world that's increasingly more and more connected and also desperately in need, desperately in need of hope and good news that only Jesus can bring. So what? I mean, my so what is this. Let's participate in this together. Let's do this. Let's bless others in the same way we've been blessed by God. Let's be gracious the way that God has been gracious to us. Let's be generous the way that God has been generous to us. Let's be hospitable the way that God has been hospitable to us. We get to be a taste of God's grace and hospitality to the world. Think about this. If you were trying to convince your friend to check out a restaurant, maybe a new restaurant opened up in Houston, you wanted your friend to go check it out. What would be the best way to get them to do it? To go to this restaurant. Now, if we conceived of that best way as being similar to how we tell people about our, our faith, we might think, you know what? I better have all the answers to their questions about this restaurant. I better, I better have the menu memorized and know where all the food was sourced. Better have the resume of the chef so I can tell them every single thing about this restaurant so that they will be then compelled to go to the restaurant. But then if your friend was like, have you been? And you're like, oh no, I've never been to that restaurant. They wouldn't want to go. Or maybe they, they would want to go, but a little bit less, right? I mean, if I try to give my kids some food that I haven't yet eaten, there's no way that they're taking a bite of that. You see, what we are welcomed into is instead of giving people all the lists of all the reasons and all the truths, instead to give them a story. Like, if you were trying to get your friend to go to this restaurant, the best way to get them to go is to tell about when you went. To tell them what the ambiance was like and what the smells were like and the generosity of the place and the food and describe it to them. Or better yet, give them a taste. Like give them some of the food that that chef has made. That, if someone takes a really good bite of food and you tell them that's where I got it, they'll be compelled to go. Way more than facts will ever compel them. Way more than having all the right answers will compel them. Giving them a taste and what, we are, what we're called to do is to be a taste of God's grace and hospitality and welcome to people. And we do that by telling of his story in our life about how, I mean, what's Abram's story? I was a pagan idol worshiper. I've failed multiple times trying to follow God and yet time and time again, God, it's like what John was singing to us. God has been so good to me. That's the testimony that Abram has. And that's the testimony that we get to have. The reason we don't like telling that testimony is because we have to talk about like our junk, <laughs> our sin, our neediness, our helplessness. But we're welcomed into doing that and that actually will become a taste of God's grace to people. We get to be we get to be a taste of his grace. And this is what God has been doing really all throughout the story of the Bible. He's been giving us tastes of himself and of his goodness. It's what he does in Eden. He spreads a table out before Adam and Eve so that they might know his goodness. It's what he does by giving Abram a land flowing with milk and honey and while Abram's, while Abram's um, children's children's children are on their way to that land, he spreads a table before them bread from heaven It's why jesus spreads a table before his disciples so that they might time and time again taste of his goodness and grace to them it's why the new heavens and new earth is described as the end of the bible is described as god spreading a feast before us because he desires for us to who were once strangers to him to be welcomed to his table so that we might taste and see that he's good that's what he's welcoming us into. And friends, this is, um, to be clear, like this is my vision for this church. This is my desire for this church, is that we would be radically hospitable and generous to our neighbors because we have received the radical hospitality and generosity of God's grace. And I'm not like rewriting our vision really with that statement. Because it actually goes hand in hand with our stated vision, which is to reach Houston for Christ and renew lives by grace. My, what I'm asking is, how are we going to do that? How are we going to reach Houston for Christ and renew lives by grace? What, or, or in other words, what will our posture be as we reach Houston for Christ and renew lives by grace? And I'm, I'm asking us to consider, what if our posture was one of hospitality as we did that? Because of the hospitality and welcome of God when we were, his strength, when we were strangers to him. This means that we get to share stories of God's work in our life when we were like Abram. This means that we get to respond by faith to God's call to bless others as we have been blessed. And responding to God's call by faith is hard. Do you see what God calls Abram to do in verse one of chapter 12? He says, go from your country. Abram, go from all your economic and material security from your homeland. Go from your kindred, from your cultural security, your comforts, go from your customs. Go become, an. in other words, go become an outsider. Go become a stranger in a strange land. Abram, go from your father's household. Go from your emotional security. Go from the relationships that ordinarily would give you a sense of self-worth and significance. Go from them. God is calling Abram to step in faith, to walk in faith and to follow him. And the author of Hebrews and Hebrews 11 says Abram, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Like that's scary <laughs> to be called to a place and to not know where he was going. And yet Abraham, even though even though he wasn't perfect and even though he was going to mess up time and time again, he stepped in faith and followed the Lord. Mary Elizabeth Hurd, who's our director of missions and outreach here at Christ the King, she and I had the opportunity to interview a pastor that I really admire named Russ Whitfield. Russ is a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Washington, D.C., and his church has just done um, a really beautiful job of being hospitable to their neighbors. One of the things that they do is they, they have a monthly barbecue slash party at the local jazz establishment down the road from them. And they just invite their neighbors to come with no agenda and they just enjoy being together. And I asked um, Russ, and we're gonna make this interview available. Um, probably uh, we'll send an email with it. It'll be on our podcast. Um, but I asked Russ, what's your encouragement to a church that's trying to lean into hospitality? And this is what he said. First thing he said, fear not. And man, when he said that, I was like, oof. You know, just hit me right there because all my fears come up with this kind of stuff. Like the fear of being vulnerable, the fear of being rejected, the fear of what might be asked of me. Maybe the, maybe the fear of like, I am not equipped to do this. I don't feel equipped to go and to, to be hospitable to our, our neighbors immediately around us or even to, to our the neighbors that you live by. That that's what I want us to be thinking about. Like, how do we as a church be hospitable to our neighbors here on Silver Road and also wherever you live to your neighbors so that we can do this corporately and individually, living into hospitality. And you might not feel equipped to do that. You know who else didn't feel equipped? Abram, he was old, y'all. Like when he went to the promised land, it probably took him a while. Like he was walking slow. He was not well equipped to go and to take that land. And God is totally patient with that. He was patient with Abram. Or maybe, maybe you, you you think of like, do they even want us there? Do our neighbors even want us to reach out? Does my neighbor who lives on the street from me even want me to invite them over? Do our neighbors here on Silver Road even want us to come and to do something? If, if you're asking yourself that question, I wanna I want challenge you and, and, and ask you, what if Jesus had said that about us? when Jesus was in heaven and God was going to send him to save us, if Jesus was like, do they even want me? Do they even want me to come? Like, the, the answer is no. Right, John, John 1 says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. We didn't want him. And if, and if Jesus had let that stop him, it would have been our doom. Or, or perhaps... Perhaps this is just scary because you're like what if this changes our church and we start looking differently. But friends, I want you to see that God's mission is that all the nations would be reached. And I, let us be aligned with his mission. And we can be open-handed about that. About what it means what it means to love our neighbors and let's be open-handed about who God may or may not bring into these doors. We are not going to try and like throw these parties to just get people in here. That's not why we're throwing these parties. We're throwing these parties to love our neighbors because we're called to love our neighbors. It's not a means to an end, it is the end. To love as we have been loved, to bless as we have been blessed. Or maybe, maybe again, this is another, another one that I, that I think of is like, I just don't know if I have time for this. I don't know if I have time to be hospitable in my neighborhood or be hospitable here at church. Uh, I want you to see this is so close to the heart of God. And 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 listen, there there can be a temptation when um, you hear about something like this, like that's a great idea, I'll financially support it and strike a check, and then I'll be, you know, I'll feel like I've done something. Don't dehumanize yourself. You are more than your checkbook. We like Like you bring more to the table in your relational capacity and the people that you can connect with than simply like financially supporting Christ the King becoming more hospitable. I mean, you can financially support it. I'm not telling you not to do that, okay. But it's more than that. You're more than that. You bear the image of God. Abram was a wealthy man too. He was old, maybe you're like, I'm too old for this. Abram was old. And God called him to be a blessing as he was blessed by God. And I want you to see that God will meet us in these fears. He does. He tells Abram, those who dishonor you, I'll curse. He's promising to care about Abram being vulnerable and being dishonored. And and it's interesting, that, that... when God tells Abram that, he, he talks about the singular person who dishonors you. He's talking about plural blessings to everyone, but he's saying, listen, I'll see it if someone singularly dishonors you. I'll see that, I'm with you. What does Jesus tell his disciples? He tells them, listen, you are going to be rejected and hated. The servant's not greater than his master. I'm your master. They hate, the world hates me. You're gonna be hated. You're gonna be rejected. But he tells them, I'll be with you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. That's what he tells them at the, at the Great Commission. God cares about us and he will be with us and it's worth it. And I, listen, I'll, I'll close with this quick story. I I think we got a, a little nudge from God this week that we're heading in a direction that makes him happy. Um, Mary Elizabeth, she went to Lowe's to go get those picnic tables in the back and uh, so that we could paint them and begin imagining you know, the, the traveling table initiative that we're starting. And she uh, asked one of the guys who worked at Lowe's, hey, can you t- show me the tables? And he, He's showing her all of them. She's like, how many do you have? He's like, why do you need so many picnic tables? And she starts telling him, and he's like, man, that's amazing. Let me, and he goes and gets another uh, one of his friends, and another friend's like, tell them what you told me. And she's like, hey, I work for this church in Spring Branch, and we're trying to be a blessing to our neighbors. And She tells them a little bit more and more about it, and they eventually say, you know what? You're not paying for these. You're not paying for these tables. We want to be part of this. And we'll, we'll deliver these tables to your church for free because we love what you're doing in our community and we want to be part of it. And so now, like James, Bobby, and Rafi are all part of this story with us, right? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, y'all, that is what I'm talking about, about being a taste of God's hospitality. That's what makes someone want to be part of it, to come in. Not when we just give them a list of the facts, but when we actually let them taste of the hospitality of God. So, let's do it. Every spiritual and material blessing that we have comes from our maker's hands. And one day we'll see him face to face. Until that day, do you want to hoard your blessings? Or do you want to be like him who gave of himself so that we could be his. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for our many blessings so we can bless others. Help us to be faithful to your call and your mission for your glory and for our joy, for the good of our neighbors. Christ's name, amen.